rank and status. So if someone comes in with a gold ring and fine clothing and you show them honor and celebrate them rather than the person with shabby clothing it uses in the ESV, um, you're sinning. That's, that's the sin of partiality. And we talked about how James didn't make this a small deal. Like, we want to make that a small deal in our lives. Yeah, partiality. We do that all the time, right? Subconsciously sometimes. And, and James goes then from there and he says, listen, if you break one piece of the law, you've broken it all, okay? And so he's, I, I think he does that intentionally because right before that he's talking about what seems to be a very small sin in our lives. And so he says, if you break one piece of the law, then, then you become guilty of it all. Uh, and he gives us the antidote or the remedy for the sin of partiality. If we remember, it is loving your neighbor as yourself. So he quotes the Old Testament and says, you want to not show partiality? You want to be impartial? Then you're going to love your neighbor, which means who? Everybody as yourself. And we have no problem loving ourselves, I would imagine, right? Um, so that's the, the remedy. Um, and then he goes on to say again, uh, you become guilty of breaking it all. And all of this causes a judgment. A judgment falls on sin. That's the, the payment for it, right? And so it's kind of discouraging. We get to the end here of the first half of James 2. I'm still reviewing here. And we see that everyone's going to be judged under the law. And, and then in verse 13, the first half says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And so that's really scary. But then, again, sweet words come after that. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And we talk about where those two things meet, right? We talked about at the cross, we see mercy and judgment meet together. Judgment falls on Christ. The judgment we deserve falls on Christ, and the mercy he deserves falls on us. That's amazing. And so uh, that's kind of the, the framework or the foundation for us to then go and triumph over our sin by God's grace. So the, the uh, prerequisite for triumphing over sin is first mercy triumphs over judgment on our behalf at the cross. So we, we laid all that foundational work, and then we come to uh, this text tonight. And one of the biggest things we're going to be talking about tonight is this word. And it means a lot to us in our Christian walk. The word faith. Um, some could say it may be one of the most important words that we learn about. One of the most important concepts, surely. Um, and we find a kind of a difficult passage. Um, we're only going to be going over 14 through 17 tonight because uh, of the shortened time. But really, he's going to draw this out for the rest of chapter 2 here. And uh, many people approach this text and find very difficulty, a lot of difficulties in it. Um, and we'll see why here in a second. But the Bible defines faith uh, in Hebrews 11. And I'm going to put these up on the screen. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the definition that God gives faith through the author of Hebrews there, okay? And we know how instrumental it is or how massively important it is because five verses later, this is what the author says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's God. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we know that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convictions of, the conviction of things not seen. And then we know that it is impossible to please God if you don't have faith. So right there we know, oh, we want to please God, right? Raise your hand if you want to please God, right? Okay, good. You should want to do that. But you can't do that unless you have faith, is what it's saying here. And then we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But also without faith, there is no peace between us and God. There is no peace between man and God. There's the opposite of peace, okay? And that's not good. So faith is instrumental. It's massively important to us as Christians. And we know, um, especially when it comes to uh, the Reformation, that faith is the grounds of our salvation. We know that we are saved by faith alone, okay? In Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based on Scripture alone, by grace alone. This is what we hold to. It's what we hold to at this church. It's what we hold to as Christians, um, that we're saved by faith alone. Because um, it's evident, it's evident and clear all throughout Scripture that we get adopted into God's family, that we're saved because of faith, not because of something that we earned or we did or we deserved even, but it was earned for us through Christ. And all that's required on our end is believing what he did, repenting of our sin, and we're saved. Okay? And, and just as a side note, that is one of the most encouraging things. I was talking with someone yesterday who's going through a very difficult time right now. And you know when you get into a very difficult time and at some point you just start laughing because it's just so bad, right? You just start laughing because it's like, what, what are you going to do about it? And we were at that point, kind of slap happy, things are just awful. And I just look at him and I say, you're saved. You're saved. You're saved by faith alone. That's massively encouraging, just to hear that. When you are at your darkest times, dwell on your salvation. You're saved. Okay, anyway, that's my side note. Ephesians 2, 8, just in case you thought I was making this up. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So this is something that God does. It's happening through our faith, and it's by His grace. This is not something that we do, Okay. So take all arrogance, all boasting out of it. It's not something that we do. So that being said, I, that was just all groundwork. Now we're going to get into the text, and we'll go for 10 minutes here and then be done. Um, the first, or verse 14 through 17, it's up on here. It's in your Bibles. I'm going to read it. You guys follow along. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, that's interesting. So we're, we're kind of having two different faiths highlighted here. One that's alive, one that saves, and one that's dead, one that, one that doesn't, okay? That's what I see in this text. Sorry, I'm pointing over there, but it's over there. In 14, we see what is a nominal faith. So he says, what good is it, talking about 
your faith. My brothers, what do we see when he says my brothers? What is he doing? Youth, you should know this. We've been talking about this. Love. Okay, he's addressing them in love. Remember, he's, he's saying, my brothers, right? He cares about them. If someone says, now this becomes what we call a nominal faith. What does that mean? Does anybody know what a nominal faith is? That's like faith in name only. Okay, so I'm claiming that I believe, but I actually don't believe. Okay, so what good is it if someone says he has faith? But, and but is going to show us that there's a contrast coming, but does not have works. And so this is important here. But this is where the rub comes, okay? We said that you're saved by faith alone. But now it's seeming to say that, no, you also need works too, okay? That's what it seems like. And especially if you look in your Bibles down at verse, I think it's 24, Yeah, it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, we hold to the the creeds and the the, um, confessions that we're saved by faith alone. We can't do anything to earn our salvation, right? That's the beauty of the gospel is that I didn't do anything. When I get to heaven one day, when I get to the presence of God and he asks, why should I let you in? I'm going to say, you shouldn't let me in. I got nothing. I have empty hands. But look at Christ's hands. Look at his feet. Look at his side. He did that for me. And that's why I can be let in, right? And so it's almost like James, or the book of James, is contrasting or contradicting what we know the rest of the Bible to say is true, okay? And that becomes a problem because the Bible doesn't contradict itself, right? If the Bible contradicts itself, I'm out of here and I'm not coming back because I'm not going to believe it anymore. This is God's word and God doesn't contradict himself. So he says, asks another question. So if it's not, it's not good if he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? And this is going back to talking about the faith without works, okay? If it doesn't have works, can that faith save him? So that's the first faith, the nominal faith, the faith that is dead, okay? And then James throws out another hypothetical like he did in uh, the first half of this chapter. So if a brother or sister clothed, um, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So he's like, in case you don't understand, here's, here's, this, here's a, an example. If someone comes to you, they're dressed poorly, they're obviously in need, they're hungry, and you say to them, I believe that you will go and you will be warmed and you will be filled, yet you have the means to make that happen and you don't do it? What good is that, right? We know that, right? If someone came to us and we had clothes to give them and we had food to give them and we didn't do it, but we said we believe you guys that you will be filled and that you will be clothed, what good is that? That is not showing our faith. So he's, he's showing this hypothetical, giving us an example for us to look at um, as we continue through this passage. And then he gets down to verse 17. He ends it here. So also, so he's, he's reverting to his previous point he made. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
And again, there's the rub. How can this possibly make sense? And I truly believe that the Bible is completely unified, right? I told you I would have already been gone. I wouldn't have been here if I didn't believe that. I wouldn't be up here teaching it. I, can, I truly believe that the Bible is completely unified on this issue and there is no contradiction here. Because it makes sense to have action backing up our faith. I think that makes sense for anything. You can list tons of examples. Um, this is a bad one, but if you, if you say you are an environmentalist and you care about marine life, that's stuff in the ocean, right? You say you care about all that, and yet you're outside casting your plastic into the ocean. You probably don't believe that, right? So you're saying something, and you're doing something else. In the same way, you're saying something here, and then you're not doing something about it. It's the same thing. It's deceit. It's a lie. It's not real faith. And that's not the type of faith that saves. And here's the problem with us here, is that it is very easy to have this type of faith, isn't it? Very easy to have a nominal faith, especially in a country where we're not persecuted very much for saying you're a Christian or saying you believe yet. Not very much. There's some, a little bit, but comparatively, Pakistan, India, places like this where you get killed if you say you're a Christian, we don't experience anything like that. Nothing. So what James is making the point here, and what the rest of the authors of Scripture, God carrying them along, right, is going to agree with, is that the mark of your faith is, is going to be seen by the works you are doing. Okay? And again, I, I said we're going to split this up into two weeks. Sorry, adults, you're not going to get the full thing. We'll revisit this, and especially the, the next part of the passage next week. But the marks of our faith is going to be the works that we do. We were created to imitate Jesus, right? We would agree with that? Christians were created to imitate our Savior. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus say a lot of stuff, but I also see him do a lot of things, right? He's coming and he's proclaiming the kingdom. He's proclaiming the good news, and it's backed up by healing. He's coming and he's, he's teaching these people, and it's backed up by a miracle. He's coming and he's caring for the poor. He's healing the sick. He's doing all these different things, and it's the, the proclamation of his faith is backed up by what he's been doing. And the same is true of us as we try to imitate Christ right? So, um, as we end here, again, I had to split this up into two parts, but we'll revisit this, this next section next week, and there will be more clarity to this. But I want to end with a quote from a guy named Martin Luther. Now, the weird thing is, if you know who Martin Luther is, he was part of the Reformation, 95 Theses, we've learned that in history, right? Martin Luther did not like this book, <laughs> He did not like the book of James. It's so weird. Martin Luther is this great scholar and, and a hero of the faith, and yet he says, this is literally something he says, I wish that, or no, he says that James is a epistle of straw, and it should be thrown into the fire to be burned up. An epistle like straw, like hay, like horses eat, thrown into the fire. That's what he says about this book of the Bible. Yet this is also what he says about faith. And I have it up there. You should write this down if you have the means to do so. It says, we are saved by faith alone. Yes, we agree. But that faith is never alone. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Let it sink in. We are saved by faith alone, but that faith 
is never alone. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? No, it can't. And then he gives the hypothetical. He says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our faith is going to be shown by the works that we do. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we were created in Christ. Prepared to do works beforehand by God so that we would walk in them. Sorry, shaky on my memory. Prepared beforehand, before the foundations of the world, God prepared that we would do works for Him, for His glory. Our faith saves us to then never be by itself. Never to be just name only. Never to just be spoken and not done. Our faith is accompanied by our works. This is not a contradiction. Our faith, yes, it saves us. Works never will save you. You can try to do as many good things as possible. It will never save you. You can try to be as good as you want. You won't be saved. You can come to church every single day for the rest of your life and could still go to hell. Works don't save. That's the beauty of it all. It's faith that saves. But listen, when you are saved, you are put on a trajectory of lifelong service to God. And that is going to be the example, that is going to be the, the, the showing that you truly believe. So they're not separate. And we'll get to that more next week. Questions. Does that make sense? Write this quote down, engrave it in your head. It's going to be important for next week. No questions? Okay. Explained it perfectly. I don't know how I do that. Yes. Oh, there. Sorry. Because of this very issue. He didn't like it because he thinks that it was, it was um, talking about a works-based salvation. So, just to give you guys an example, and most of you are familiar with this, a works-based, works-based salvation would be something like Catholicism or something of that nature, which Martin Luther went to the Catholic Church to, to say, hey, this ain't right. Like, that's not what this says. Okay? And so, uh, workspace salvation gets us into a problem where we have to earn our salvation, and the cross actually wasn't enough. Yes, you need faith, but you need works accompanied with that, or else you're not going to make it, and that's not the truth. Um, so that's why he didn't like this, because he thought James was saying something different when he's really not. He's not the only one that thought that either, but yeah. Any other questions? No, no. All right, let's pray, and we're going to go celebrate and eat good food. Father, thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation. (laughs) Oh, how we'd be lost. Oh, how it wouldn't even be worth trying as we fail every single day. God, but your grace covers us. Your grace is like an ocean. Your mercy is like a waterfall. That underneath your judgment we were condemned. And yet you slide us to the side and put your son and nail him to the cross there instead. Receiving the judgment for our sin and we receiving grace 
So thank you that we have the ability to have faith in you. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us here, our faith would be strengthened, that we would do works in order to glorify you and for nothing else, not for eyesight, not for other people to see us, not for our own gain, but for you and you alone. Help us, God. We, we need your help. Um, so thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing us things. Uh, I pray that each and every one of us would go home and dive back into your word even more uh, to discover beautiful things. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's go over to the fellowship hall.